Good morning, everybody. It's Marcus with the Morning Meeting Podcast. It's not really a meeting today, though. Henry's away. Leighton's away. Chi-Chi's busy, so thought I'd just do it myself today. I suppose there would be days like this. Just before we start, it is, of course, general advice only. Do not mistake this for personal financial advice suited to your personal financial circumstances. If you want that sort of stuff, go and see a financial planner, which, by the way, I was at a financial planning conference in New Zealand last week. I don't know whether you saw my observations the other day, but financial planners are getting younger. Average age, 43. There was also someone who threw out some statistics about financial planners pre banking inquiry and post banking inquiry and the average financial planner used to have 150 to 200 clients per planner since all the new regulation about statements of advice which can run to 80 to 100 pages of ask covering by financial planners those documents do seem to do that rather than necessarily serve the client's purposes but there you go such is regulation and after the introduction of all that regulation the number of clients for the average financial planner is down to 50 or 60 and a lot of financial planners you might be interested to know are trying to get away from handling retail clients and only deal with wholesale clients. In order to qualify as a wholesale client you need to have a look at the legislation but last time I looked you had to have something like two and a half million in assets and a salary of this and this or that and you had to get your accountant to sign off that you're a sophisticated investor then you can be dealt with as a wholesale client which means the financial planner can be less liable and more nimble. They still have a compliance environment to operate within, but it is less onerous. So if you are looking for financial advice, that might one of be one of your options. The other consequence of regulation as well is that financial planners simply can't take on that many clients, so they have to charge more for a client. And the average cost of financial advice has gone from around three grand to around 10 grand plus, simply because financial planners, planners have to pick and choose their clients. Now, there are too many clients, not enough planners. If you are looking, looking for a financial planner, email me and I will find you one. Right, that aside, let's get back to the market, shall we? Nothing seems to be going right. I'll get to the strategy in a second, but overnight, Wall Street at one point, I looked at my phone again in the middle of the night, Wall Street at one point was up 400 points, the Dow Jones that is, overnight. And the CNBC anchors were saying, what's that? What's, what's that num- What's that number mean? Why is it green? Oh, is that a positive number? Haven't seen one of those for eight months. And they were getting all optimistic. But in the middle of the session in the US, the Bank of England, and you can read about this bit in the strategy section, the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, who was talking in the US rather dismally told British pension funds and other investors that they had three days to fix their problems before the Bank of England withdraws their support from the bond market. On the back of that, bond markets or bond market yields jumped up and equity markets fell over and Wall Street lost its 400 points. So in the end, Dow Jones up 36. Our futures were down 22 this morning, which followed a 23 point fall in the ASX 200 yesterday. And today we are trading as per yesterday in very low volume in a very narrow range. There's now a 30 point range today. We're up 17 at the moment. We've been down 12 at one point. We're at our highs at the moment. Dow futures are up 39 as I speak. 
so in positive territory. And it's pretty obvious nobody's really sticking their neck out or doing anything material ahead of this CPI number, which is on Thursday night in the US. It's a PPI number tonight, so we're not waiting. I think I got it wrong yesterday, suggesting it was going to be we were going to wake up to it tomorrow morning. We'll wake up to it on Friday morning. It's the PPI number tonight, not the CPI. CPI number Thursday night in the US. We'll wake up to it Friday morning, and nobody seems to want to do anything ahead of that. So low volumes, small trading ranges lots of share prices doing nothing. NASDAQ was down 1.1% overnight. Technology, one of the worst sectors overnight. And resources weren't looking too too good either. BHP and Rio were down 2%, but they're sort of unchanged today. BHP up a touch, Rio down a touch. Oil price came off a couple of percent, blamed on recession fears. It's all very general when they don't know what to do, say something bland. Uh, The coal price, about the only thing that was notable overnight, up 4%. Metals didn't do much. But the U.S. 10-year bond yield was up six basis points and the U.S. dollar index was up a touch as well. Can you believe the Aussie dollar now down to 62.72? It was only, what, two, three weeks ago, Westpac put out this rather scary forecast that the Aussie dollar could go down to 65 cents. Here we are two weeks later, it's 62 cents. You might have noticed yesterday, which is a doesn't bode well for some of our companies, that baby bunting had a profits warning drop 20% yesterday. And one of their problems was the low Aussie dollar, which is making everything because they import everything. So not good for retailers importing goods to sell here that the Aussie dollar is down because it's costing them more to import their margins, they said had dropped in the third quarter and everybody ran to the hills. That's a theme that's going to run through a lot of retailers, but also a lot of other companies come the next results season. Coming up on the diary, we've got this CPI number Friday. By the way, the core number is expected to rise, not fall. Core number is expected to be 6.5% up from 6.4% year on year and month on month, 0.5% up from 0.3%. So no relief on the inflation front if those numbers come out as expected. We've got an RBA meeting November the 1st, Melbourne Cup Day. We've got FOMC meetings November the 2nd, December the 14th, then February. We've got a US, uh, Chinese sorry, PMI number on Friday, retail sales out of the US on Friday. But more importantly, we have the US results season. I'm going to put out a US results season calendar later today if I get a minute. I don't seem to have a lot of minutes at the moment, but I will put out a diary. But f- some of the major investment banks reporting on Friday, and this is one of the market risks as well. The investment banks reporting on Friday with the market going down, deal and the bond markets being seen, being seen as risky and the corporate bond market falling over. There haven't been a lot of deals around. The market's gone down, which doesn't help investment banks. And with the risk of recession and the market in downtrend, it's unlikely that their outlook statement's going to be very good. So risk number two, apart from CPI, is the results season kicking off on Friday. All sorts of reasons not to be sticking your neck out at the moment. Few things going on today. Some good news at last. Bank of Queensland up 8.1% after results today. So that's a nice 
start to the bank's results season has to be said. Their dividends up. Their dividend, when it goes ex-dividend, will yield 3.36% plus franking. Haven't got the ex-dividend date yet. But when a company has results, it de-risks the company for the next three to six months. So Bank of Queensland's just had no case set of results. Net profit up, net profit after tax up 15%. Announced its dividend. It is de-risked for three to six months. And their statement was fairly upbeat. Growth across all brands in financial year 2022 provides a revenue tailwind moving into 2023. We have positive net interest margin momentum with tailwinds from rising interest rates partly offset by headwinds from rising funding costs. Integration of the Me Bank is progressing well and a few other things as well. But good set of results from Bank of Queensland sets the tone for the rest of the banks. Happy with that. Another event today's Commonwealth Bank AGM. I have looked for something interesting to say from the AGM the share price of CBA is up 1.6% today. CEO Matt Komen says we are fundamentally optimistic about medium and long-term growth. There wasn't much else to go on. So price up a touch. The stock is still in downtrend. It's got to be said. Have a look at the chart. But Bank of Queensland looks like just today could be breaking the downtrend. But the banks leading everything up today. You've got CBA up 1.6%, NAB up 0.8%, ANZ up 2.4%, Westpac up 2.4%, Bendigo Adelaide up 2.1%, and as I say, Bank of Queensland up 8.1%. So banks leading. I'm going to put in a Banks results season calendar again if I get a minute. And you'll see we are running into results from ANZ, NAB, Westpac, and dividends. And it seems that today's comments from the CBA have rather opened the doors of optimism for a run into the bank's results season. Could be a bit premature if this UK bond market blows up, but whatever. Let's take the positives today. CSL's had its AGM share price down a little bit. No one's interested in CSL in either direction at the moment. Henry's written about uranium stocks, Deep Yellow and Boss Energy today. You might have a look at those. There was some quite interesting stuff on Deep Yellow, a bit of research he's provided a link to. And overnight, Cameco and Brookfield in Canada bid 7.9 billion US dollars for a private company called Westinghouse Electric, which is a private US nuclear power company. Stirrings in the uranium sector, although I have to say none of the share prices are up today. ERA's up 1.2%, but Bannerman's down 4.4%. Deep Yellow's down a little bit, so you're not missing out on much at the moment. But uranium stirring in the background. Big companies don't make big bids unless they've got a long-term positive outlook, it has to be said. NIB Holdings, if you hold those, have had a capital raising. The other featured day in the market is the coal stocks on the back of that coal price rise. You've got Whitehaven Coal up 4.9%. Whitehaven Coal is this year's afterpay by the looks of it, along with Pilbara Minerals. But Coronado up 6.7% today. They confirmed discussions with Peabody. Confidential discussions that set the sector alight. New Hope Coal, or No Hope Coal as Henry calls it, up 3.9%. In Henry's take today, he has listed high conviction stocks having canvas the Facebook group. Also in the Facebook group, there was a comment about the new trading section. I encourage you to go to the Facebook site or email me with any feedback on the new technical section from Stuart McPhee. Looking for feedback there. And finally, to strategy and ideas. 
Have a read today. We are in a sentiment hole. Making money out of the stock market is all about picking the sentiment peaks and troughs in the short and medium term. If you want to talk Warren Buffett and value, that's very much a long-term concept. Only ever works in the long term. But at the moment, we're dealing with the short and medium term and we are in a trough and a sentiment hole with some significant risks ahead in that CPI number in the US results season. And both of those events appear to offer more risk than reward at this point. The only good news I can find is that sentiment is so poor that it's going to be easier for those numbers to please rather than disappoint from here. I mean, the most positive thing I could write about in the strategy piece today is there are so many negatives, it can only get better, surely. Anyway, let's list some of the negatives. The CPI number, expected to rise Friday morning. Bank of England telling their pension funds sort themselves out. They said, we will be out of the market by the end of the week. My message to the funds involved is that you've got three days left now and you've got to get this done. In the same speech, Andrew Bailey, the Bank of England governor, talked about a material risk to British financial stability and the British pound fell over. This, of course, has all happened after the UK government announced £45 billion worth of unfunded tax cuts on September the 23rd. That caused the run on the bond market or spike in yields and problems for pension funds scrabbling to raise collateral to meet margin calls and in so doing selling bonds even harder, which exacerbated the problem, meant their margin calls were worse. So Bank of England support comes off on the 14th of October, two days time. The UK's hanging on the government's update to its financial plan. That comes on October 31st, Halloween. The IMF are telling, or said rather interestingly, the IMF are talking at the IMF and World Bank annual meeting, which is an in-person meeting for the first time in three years. But they said that the Bank of England and the UK government are driving the same car but steering in different directions. Correct. Anyway, nothing out of the Bank of England was good. And I have to say, for an experienced hand, this is one of those issues that could rather suddenly cascade. A lot of the other issues we've got are cyclical, slow-moving, inflation, interest rates, Fed aggression. But this is something that could cascade, as it almost did when it first started a couple of weeks ago, and could potentially infect world bond markets, causing a financial crisis. Not one to scare anybody. What would I know? The odds of that are probably very, very low. But, and I'm, I'm pretty sure if it did start, the Bank of England would be back in supporting the markets again. But it is something that could blow up. So not positive. The other thing that happened overnight is the IMF Global Financial Stability Report. Miserable, miserable reading. They talked about a combination of inflation, war, an energy crisis, a food crisis, China's COVID response, China's troubled property market, and sharply higher interest interest rates are pushing the world to the brink of recession and threatening financial market stability. These guys are supposed to calm us all down. Anyway, winding us all up. They urge central banks to continue or to keep up their fight against inflation, despite the economic pain and the rise in the US dollar. They also cut their GDP forecast. And here are a few of their quotes. It's difficult to think of a time when uncertainty was so high. We have to go back decades to see so much conflict in the war, war world. We recommend central banks stay the course. Central bankers have a delicate balancing act to fight inflation without over-tightening. Over-tightening could push the global economy into an unnecessarily severe 
recession. Let's make sure we see a decisive decline in inflation. Blah, blah, blah. None of it good. Another negative is this results season. There are all sorts of reasons why US companies are going to see lower profits growth and lots of reasons for them to be cautious in their outlook statements. They include the rise in the US dollar up 22%. This is the third quarter results season, but the US dollar is sharply higher in the last quarter as well. It's up 22% in a year. That damages their competitive edge if selling overseas does benefit importers, of course. But they also have inflation issues, which has pushed up wage costs and other costs. They've got supply chain issues, freight costs are up, as Baby Bunting told us yesterday. And all that comes before the risk of recession, which is going to stop them saying anything optimistic in their outlook statements. All in all, it's not really a results season to look forward to. And if FedEx is anything to go by, which have results, what, two or three weeks ago and fell over, any disappointments are going to be punished in the share price front, especially if we're still in a downtrend. I'll put out a US results diary sometime today, hopefully. And lastly, the other negative on top of the Bank of England, the IMF, the results season and the CPI number is Fed speak with Cleveland President Loretta Mester said the Fed have to get inflation under control, will need to press on with their monetary policy tightening. Unacceptably high and persistent inflation remains the key challenge facing the US economy. Despite some moderation on the demand side of the economy and nascent signs of improvement in supply side conditions, there has been no progress on inflation. Great. She also suggested that the Fed need to keep pressure on in order to put inflation on a sustained downward path. And she doesn't anticipate any cuts in the Fed funds rate target next year. Ho hum. So net result for the strategy portfolio and the ideas portfolio is that we have less than 48 hours until the US CPI number. So we have less than 48 hours to decide whether to flog everything before the CPI number or to take the risk. I am quite disappointed. We are usually very good at avoiding this sort of downtrend and avoiding the the tide running against us. But here we are swimming against the tide with a strategy portfolio that's fully invested. I am obviously very tempted to clear out of everything ahead of this CPI number and ahead of the US results season. Having your fingers crossed is not a basis for investment. And that's about all I've got to rely on at the moment. So my message to you as members is that I think it's probably better to avoid these potential landmines than to bet on them. I'm not too fussed in the strategy portfolio. We are down on every investment we have made in the last week, every ETF we bought, but they are low volatility. And the sentiment turn could come with this CPI number rather than the other way around get worse. So what do we do? For the moment we're in, we've got 24 hours to make our minds up. Dow futures, as I speak, are up 103 now. So that's getting better. We're holding on for now. On the ideas portfolio, everything's underwater. You will see I've put a table in there. I've got something set up to monitor stop losses. I've got three times ATR stop losses. See if you can work that table out. But you take a three times ATR stop loss from the highest price it's hit since you've bought it. And on that basis, none of our stocks have yet hit a three times ATR stop loss, even though some of them like Domain Holdings is down almost 14%, Domino's 10%, 
zero, almost 10%, and the others are sort of okay. But not a good look monitoring stop losses on the ideas portfolio. And that's about it. Pretty sorry state of affairs for the moment, but I think for members, whatever I am doing in the strategy portfolio, the ideas portfolio, the game for you is to pick up the vibe and the vibe is probably shouldn't be taking the risk over this CPI number. There is just too much tide running against us. Right, that's about it. I am off to Sydney on Friday to join up with Henry. We are going to the Equity Mates FinFest on Saturday. If you're there, we will see you there. They have told us no corporate wear. I'm not sure what that means. Am I allowed to wear a suit? I do find it rather odd that it's supposed to be a festival. It's a sort of younger demographic thing, yet they want all the old hands like myself to turn up to tell people what to do, but we're not allowed to be ourselves. We've got to pretend to be trendy. I'm not very trendy. Anyway, if you want to meet a trendy Marcus and a trendy Henry, come to the FinFest in Sydney on Saturday. And you might even meet Archie, who is up there at the moment. He has been called up to do a dunk contest. Yes, that's a basketball dunk contest. He is getting paid now as a professional dunker in his spare time. Can you believe it for a 5 foot 11 kid? One of the highest vertical leaps in Australia. That's about it. Market as I leave you up 9 points. Dow futures flying around up 77. Dropped 25 points in 60 seconds. You have a good day. I will be back tomorrow.